Cooper and Jesse, you guys can go downstairs now. Daddy's going to do the talking part for a little while, okay? So you guys go downstairs and be quiet so Mom can listen. Trust me, they're listening at home. I'll hear about it when I get there. Oh, thank you, Jesus. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast, beyond what you can measure, that he give his only son to turn me into his treasure. And then each went to his own home, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach the people. Just listen to this story. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees, they brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group. Now remember, there's a feast going on in the city. There could be thousands of people there. Teacher, this woman's caught in the act of adultery, and in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. What do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing Jesus. But Jesus bent down. He started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up, and Jesus said to them, If any one of you has never sinned, let him throw the first stone at her. Again, Jesus got down. Jesus wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away, one at, the, at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman standing there. Jesus strained up, and he asked the woman, Where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one. She said, No one. Then neither do I condemn you. Go. Leave your sin behind. Leave it behind and go. That is the story of mercy. This is from John chapter 8. This isn't even where the sermon is this morning. It's just the story of mercy. And Jesus says in the very next verse, I am the light of the world. And whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but they will have light. They're going to have light. Do you know what these are? Glow sticks. You're a glow stick. It's probably not what you thought you were going to hear when you came to church this morning, but you are. They're not extraordinary things. They're really not. Like, there's nothing magical about the plastic tube. There's some sort of weird colored water in them. I don't know what it is. There's a hook on top, so you can hang it as a necklace. You're a glow stick. See, in youth group, we often talk about that. That you are the light. That you should let your good deeds shine before men to bring praise and glory to your Father in heaven. That's Matthew chapter Five, Jesus said that as he was beginning to preach the Sermon on the Mountain. Let your good deeds be the light to the world. 
as I am the light to the world. He's teaching them that. See, you're a glow stick. Sometimes in youth group, even we'll use a flashlight. We'll turn off all the lights in the youth room, and we'll turn on a flashlight. And we'll talk about how powerful a flashlight is in a dark room. How with one light, the darkness is extinguished. The darkness has nowhere to go. The light overpowers it. And you're a glow stick. But glow sticks aren't any fun until what happens? You can say it. Until they are cracked. You don't give a kid a glow stick for Christmas and he runs around the house shouting how exciting it is. I have a plastic tube of juice and they run around the house. No, what's the first thing they ask? They want you to break it. They want it to get cracked because they want it to glow. Some of us are uncracked glow sticks. What we contain inside of us is a powerful light, but we haven't been cracked. We've kind of dodged that. We've dodged the brokenness. We don't want to experience that. But it's in the brokenness that something powerful can shine out from the center of us. But once you crack it, you can't go back. Once you start to reveal Jesus, once you start to live that life, there's no retreat. You hide it in your pocket, you're going to see a glow coming from the top of your pocket. Some of us are old glow sticks, cracked a long time ago. At first, we were bright. We could light up a room. But it's been a long time. And that joy that we get from that moment of salvation, from that realization that our sins have been covered, paid for, atoned, it's worn off a little bit. It's just ordinary. We don't bring it up in our day-to-day discussion anymore, how special it is to be forgiven. We've just forgotten that part of our life. We've lived in the light so long, you've forgotten how dark it used to be. Your glow stick has stopped glowing as bright as it once did. Now you're wondering how many does he have in his pocket. I'm not going to tell you. It's a whole bunch. We're reading in the letter that Peter wrote to the Christians scattered around the world. We've been in 1 Peter for a couple months now. If you have your Bible, go to chapter 2. And let's start reading at verse 4. Peter says to the Christians, As you come to him, Jesus, the living stone rejected by men, chosen by God, precious to God, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. The one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. That's found in the Old Testament. Peter says, now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to all those who don't believe, the Old Testament says this. The stone that the builders all rejected, it's become the capstone. 
the foundation. And the Old Testament also says, a stone that causes men to stumble. It's a rock that makes them all fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But, this is today's passage, but you, Christians scattered throughout the world, but you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you weren't a people, now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, now you've received mercy. Thank you, God, for your word. Oh, we could just keep reading and reading. It's, just, it's all one letter, so it all fits. You could just keep reading all of 1 Peter. This is who they are. He's painting a picture. Peter is. He's trying to get you to understand all of it. He's using images that they would understand. He says, this is a household being built up. All of you are pieces of the house. You are pieces of the stone house that is being built up. And the household is Jesus. And the house is filled with Jesus. It's actually the temple where he dwells. He dwells inside of you. He is the foundation of it. The whole house is built on him. He's the capstone that every other stone is aligned with. And you are the priests. The priests are the ones who would take the sacrifices, the offerings, and they would take it where no one else would go, and they would give it to God. They would intercede for normal people who couldn't get back to the Father. Only the priests could do that. But Peter says, you are now those people. You now take your sacrifices. What does Romans 12 say? You are a living sacrifice, right? We now take the sacrifice. We take our lives right to the throne. We don't have to hand it to someone else and ask them politely, would you take this to the Father, please? We go right in. But there's other people that haven't received that. You see, Jesus gets in the way of their lives. He's like a boulder that's dropped on their path. He's like a speed bump on their road, right? They have chosen to live this life of sin, but Jesus convicts them of all sin and righteousness through the Holy Spirit. They want to live for themselves. Or they've chosen to follow the law to create their own righteousness, and Jesus is also a stumbling block to that. Because he is our source of righteousness. Because there's no other name under heaven by which we can be saved but him. You can't be good enough and neither can I. We have to go through him. Through his sacrifice. So after explaining all of this to these people, Peter begins to give them these titles. Chosen and priesthood. Belonging to him. Purchased by him. Holy nation. These are Old Testament titles. They have meaning behind them. They have purpose. But remember who he's writing to. Don't forget that. He's writing it to scattered Gentiles. They're not God's chosen people. They've always been outsiders to this. 
And Peter is going to usher them in through these descriptions into something holy that began a long time ago. He says in verse 9, you are a, what does he say? Chosen people. What does that mean to be chosen by God? That means that he has purpose in picking you. He has foreknowledge of picking you. That takes you back to the very beginning of 1 Peter. Take a look. Turn the page back. Look at the very first verses. We have a second. We have time. Take a look. He says, my name is Peter. I'm an apostle of Jesus. I write this letter to God's elected people, strangers in the world, scattered throughout the world. Verse 2, who have been chosen according to his foreknowledge. Don't miss that. You are a chosen people. It's not by accident that you're here. God wants you just like he wanted Israel. Okay, go back to verse 9. What does he say next? You're a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. Now, we've already talked about this. The priesthood had the role of the sacrifices, going where no one could go up to the altar to carry what needed to be taken to the Father right to him. The high priest right into God's presence into his house, into his temple. That was select for Levites, a select group of a select group of Israel. It was the most exclusive group there was. Now God has called all of them to be the priesthood. Keep going, we're not done. He says, you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Now we're getting somewhere. Set apart. Unified as one body, one nation, but set apart from the rest of the world. That was the great mandate of Israel. From the very moments that God chose Abraham and set his family apart, they were supposed to be the light to the world. They were given the law so that by their lives, people would be drawn back to Yahweh. They would see their sacrifices They would see their righteousness. They would see their obedience. And it would draw the world back to him. He had promised Abraham that Abraham's family would be a blessing to the whole world and the whole world would be blessed through them. But Israel couldn't do that. They fell short of that again and again and again. I like that. The people of God scattered throughout the world, they are now the set-apart nation, unified as one body. I told you, all of these have meanings, right? That's why I have to just slow down sometimes as we read through the Bible. But the last descriptor is my favorite one. You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Finally, it says, a people belonging to God. Your mom and dad, they own you. When they get angry, sometimes they bring that up more than they should. You're mine. I can do what I like. There's possession taking place. 
I've paid for you. I probably shouldn't say that to the boys, should I, when I get home. I own you. What's cool about him saying that you're a people belonging to God is that an exchange has taken place. We love to say in church that you are bought by the blood. You're purchased by the sacrifice of Jesus. But why does that have so much depth? Because God paid the ultimate price for you. Because that's how valuable restoring that relationship was to him. When you buy something... The most expensive thing you own, you take care of it. You take care of it, the most expensive thing that you own, because it has the greatest value. You understand that. And God reveals that you are the most expensive thing he's ever bought. You, and you don't deserve it. But we say, thank you, God, thank you. You belong to him. Not in a dominating way, not in a master-servant relationship, in a father and son. When the son comes home from living in his life of sin, and the father sees him all the way down the road, and as the son is rehearsing his speech to say sorry to his dad, his dad runs to him and hugs him. Because that little boy belongs to his dad. And you belong to him. All of these titles that were reserved for God's holy people, Israel. All of these titles are now extended to those who believe. Peter is handing these ancient titles to these scattered Christians. These are wives, servants, slaves. You're going to notice that in chapters 3 and 4, when Peter starts to address them specifically. These are people that don't have a lot of authority. These aren't necessarily rich people, powerful people. These are people under others' control. These are persecuted people going through trial. But they're chosen and they're holy. They belong to him. They're valuable. And they're glow sticks. Why? Because they have a purpose. I told you before, a glow stick's no fun unless you crack it. What do you think, Charlie? Can I crack it with one hand? I don't know if I can. Do you think so? I don't know. Can I do it with one? I might need both. Let's see. Can I do it against myself? I like this color. This is one of my favorite ones. At home, you probably can't see it glowing. Should have signed up and came to church. Hey, now you're regretting it. You get to see the glow stick in person. I'm just teasing you. They're meant to glow. Don't feel bad about cracking a glow stick. Don't feel guilty about it. Oh, I'm wasting it. No, you're not. This was its purpose. And enjoy it. It's only going to last for an hour. Enjoy it. And you're thinking, what is the youth pastor doing? Why is he ranting about sticks that glow? Did you read the rest of the verse? Sometimes we read these four titles and we think that they're beautiful and majestic and we just stop reading. You're holy and you're a priest and you belong to God. Amen. But you're missing something. What does the rest of verse 9 say? You're a people that belong to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into wonderful light. 
so that you can declare the praise of the one who lit up your life. You are not this set-apart priesthood. You're not this holy nation so that you can feel good about yourself and quietly live your life at home and say, thank you, God, and appreciate the treasure that you've been given and hide it. You are revealing him to this world. You sit at home and pray for revival, but will you go out and shine your light? You pray that our church will reach people in our city. Will you go shine your light? You and me, we are the carriers of God's message. So if you pray that God would send workers out into the harvest field, pull your light out of your pocket. Because it's amazing how ineffective a glow stick is when it's tucked away. Declare the praise of him who called you out of darkness into light. Once you weren't a people, this is verse 10, now you are the people of God. He's saying before you belonged to no one, but now you fully belong to him. You're his. Once you had not received mercy, now you have. Remember that story I read from John chapter 8, the woman who was forgiven? She was given a second chance at life. They were holding stones. They were ready to kill her on the spot. And Jesus extends mercy to her, a second chance. And he says, from now on, don't live like that anymore. Go and live the rest of your life remembering the second chance that you've been given. Go. Here's the second chance. Here is the light of the world. Go. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for this light. Tuck it in your pocket. I'm just going to go back to my life of sin. He's like, no. The whole point is that the world would see and the world would know. Chapter 3, verse 15. In your hearts, go, go find it if you want. It's on the next page. In your hearts, verse 15. Set apart Christ as Lord and always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks the reason for the hope that you have. What's the reason? What is it? Like we, we sit here on the one year anniversary of all of this being stopped. And as the world looks at you and looks at me, I hope that they see hope. I hope. I hope that your friends and your family and your neighbors, when they look at you, they see something different. And when they ask you, what is it? Why do you have peace? Why do you have joy in the midst of this? You think, oh boy, this is that moment of discipleship the pastors always talk about. Okay, okay, um, evangelism class. How do I do this? Okay, John 3, 16, Romans, Romans 8, 28. Come on, come on, come on, come on. What's that Old Testament verse about Jesus on the cross? Isaiah, it's simpler than that. When people ask you, just tell them the reason why you have the hope that you have. Because once you lived this life in darkness, but now you live in wonderful light. Once you weren't a person that belonged to God, now you do. Once you had not received mercy, now you have. Tell them that. Why is the testimony of a new believer 
so much more like filled with electricity maybe than the testimony of someone who's been a Christian for years and years. Because they understand how bright the lights are. They've lived in darkness. The lights have just been turned on. Like it hurts your eyes. You know that feeling when you go to the bathroom like early in the morning and the lights come on and you can't even stare at them. And yet a minute later you can stare right into the bulbs and it doesn't hurt. There's something about that moment of darkness to light that is just shocking. Tell that story. Because after you get so used to the light, you forget how dark it used to be. What about chapter 2, verse 12? If you're still in 1 Peter, take a look at that. That's just a few verses from where we are right now. Verse 12 of chapter 2 says, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Your life should shine like a light so bright that if your neighbors were to come after you and accuse you and attack you, they would be put to shame because of the way that we live, because of the life and the light that we have. Like, we are the testimony. I try to tell this to the youth group because it has to be practical. Like, their relationship with God can't be theory. It can't be head knowledge. It can't be Greek translations of a Hebrew word. Like, that can't be faith in youth group. It has to be tangible. I'm going to school tomorrow, Darren. My friends think this is stupid. Like, you got to help me. Well, the Greek word is no, Darren. No, no, no. How, how does this make sense today in my world? Okay, let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. Who in your school needs a second chance? Kids who are picked on then go give them a second chance. Go be friends with them. Who needs a second chance? The bullies? Exactly. Go give them a second chance. Why? Because Jesus gave you a second chance. Oh, I get it now. Yeah. That's where I want the Bible. That's where I want 1 Peter to be at for you. I want you to be able to read this, to go, oh, I get it. This is my life. I'm the glow stick. When I leave this building, when I go home, that's me. The world is watching. Am I shining, though? Don't forget that. All the titles in the world don't make us effective ministers of the gospel. And finally, can we just appreciate the brokenness that it takes for the light to shine? Like, I know that's kind of a glow stick thing, but don't miss that either. You might think it's the best parts of your life that bring God the most glory but maybe it's the most broken parts of your life that he's going to use most clearly to shine. Maybe it's your struggle with sin. God's going to do something through that. You're going to reach people with that. Maybe it's a moment of darkness in your own personal life. 
And out of that, God will reveal himself as powerful and loving and kind. And in the brokenness, everything will change. This world has broken so many of us in so many different ways. But it's for a purpose and for a reason. I just keep looking at all the different teenagers in our youth group and just thinking about the impact they're going to have if they're not afraid. If they go to school and they tuck this in their pocket, no one will see. No one will see. You are a chosen people, Bridgeway. You are a royal priesthood, Bridgeway. You are a holy nation, Bridgeway. You're a people that belong to God, Bridgeway. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Heavenly Father, my prayer this morning is simple and it's sincere. That you would grab a hold of the hearts of this church and that you would shine through them. Lord God, for the people in our church who are nervous to be seen as as your son or your daughter, who are nervous about talking about you, about shining their light, Lord, give them courage. For people, Lord, in our church who have been Christians so long that they don't even notice how beautiful it is to have this light from you. Lord, remind them of that. Lord, for people who have fallen away from you and have forgotten the beauty of your salvation, draw them back. And Lord, for our friends who don't know who you are, Lord Jesus, bring us into their path. Help us to shine our light so brightly, Lord, that they ask for the reason that we have hope. And we say, Jesus. Jesus is the reason why we have hope. Lord, as we all get back together as a large church body next week, oh, fill us full of joy. And Lord, as as this year of restriction disappears and as we go back into times of life without restriction, would we sing your songs loudly? Would we shine our lights brightly? And would this whole world come to know who you are? That is my honest prayer. Holy Spirit, make us a lighthouse on this hill in this city that they would see who you are. We love you. We love you so much. And we thank you for everything that you have done for us. This is our prayer, church. In Jesus' name, amen.